You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us all the way from Australia is uh, the founder of the Australia Research Group, um, Australian Yowie Research, also the, the webmaster of yowiehunters.com. Mr. Dean Harrison is joining us. Uh, welcome to the show, Dean. to my show <laughs> it's our show and i'm really thrilled you're here uh this is a great opportunity and thank you so much for agreeing to come on this is a, a real a real pleasure and a real honor uh to have a chance to talk to you it's it's not something that i normally do as most people know but uh you are a friend of mine brett and um i'm happy to be here oh well thanks a lot and uh Ladies and gentlemen, the phone lines won't be open uh, until maybe later in the show, but we're just going to have a nice conversation between now and then and get to know the man uh, who has been doing this for over two decades uh, and has been really on the front lines of Yowie research and information uh, in Australia. Um, he's often heard on many television stations and uh, doing interviews all over for print and television and so on. And uh, he... Uh, you are a machine, first of all. Uh, I just got to tell you, you're, you're really out there doing the work. You're not just a, you know an armchair um, c- cerebral person. You are out there pounding the pounding the sticks, getting to this, huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. Particularly back in the early days, we really got our hands dirty. We did the hard yards. We uh, there's uh, a lot of people out there that we used to call. Uh, couch researchers or armchair researchers mm-hmm. and uh, we were the guys out there doing it for real and we were getting calls out to all these places uh all over all over the country all over australia actually mm-hmm. people were asking for help but i'll backtrack on all that and we'll get to 
the important part, and that's more about the Australian Yow in itself. Now, in comparison to, say, the American Bigfoot, yeah, we both have that. We both have the large hominid-type uh, primordial uh, creature, you know, Bigfoot, Sasquatch and the Yowie. But in Australia, we seem to have uh, a couple of other smaller species, a smaller variety, which is very unique. Mm -hmm. now, these can be described in different ways. And through the witness testimonies and the interviews that, that we do, they will talk about something that is more of a man's size, but extremely primordial at the same time, more of like a, a monkey type of head, yet not, yet more like a human, yet not. And they always say it's really hard to distinguish between a primate and a human. Mm -hmm. And then you go and find the smaller type again. So we're talking about, say, around about the four foot mark. Okay. And, and these are sort of more monkeyish uh, to the next level. But back up to the more man size, they can be described as like a relic human. Okay. Neanderthal ish. They've got that hominid gene in their system where they've got the. Uh, this, the eye ridges that are you know, very pronounced, the deep-set eyes, mm -hmm. splayed nose, etc. But when you go to, say, the larger ones, we're talking you know, maybe you know, 8 to 10 feet, more than likely probably about 8 feet. Um, some people say 9, but often a lot of people don't judge heights or distance very well. Okay. Um, they're, 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 they're more... I think you could say they're, they're definitely more hominid than anything else. Okay. So if you look back, for example, on uh, we'll look at paleontology without trying to bore anyone too much. So it all started with Australian Australian Pithecines, say about four million years ago, mm -hmm. and these guys were about three to four feet tall. They're like like uh, primordial hobbits, so to speak. And as time went on, say three million years ago to two million years ago, they slowly started to grow. Then they died out and the hominids came in. Uh, so the, the Homo genus stepped in from uh, the Australopithecines. And Homo uh, is Latin for uh, human. Okay. And, of course, Homo sapiens, sapien being Latin for wise, that's where we are now, so that's wise human. So there's that gap in between. And, again, if you, if you look at that scale from the first Homo to Homo sapien, we got progressively taller and taller. Mm -hmm. And the human was the tallest out of all of these, these species of the same genus. But once you got to about, say... 100,000 years to 300,000 years ago, you can draw a timeline of about five different species that we know, all living parallel, living, walking together on the Earth. So you'd have, for example, about... And, and again, now, keep in mind that, that paleontology, archaeology, it all changes. What you read 50 years ago is different to the facts now because mm -hmm. the next find is going to ruin the facts for sure. what you're learning in university right now. And, and, and that's how it progresses. That's how it evolves. Uh, it is never a static learning curve because we don't know it all. 
and they'll admit they don't know. Well, all they can go off is what they found uh, in terms of fossils and you know, teeth and that they extract the DNA. But my point is that uh, in this time period that I'm referring to, it was just a mixing pot of DNA. Okay. So you'd have, again, you'd have the Homo erectus, you'd have the Neanderthals, Homo habilis, uh, you had one that was called um, uh, Heidelberg genus, and, and then the Denisovans. And the Denisovans is, you know, very closely linked to humans. And in that mix as well, you still had the, the modern Homo sapiens. So you had all these, all these guys all walking the earth at the same time. And they were, they were mixing DNA, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. And the science and the paleontologists believe, excuse me, believe that uh, it wasn't much of a, it wasn't really a case of the social interaction and crossbreeding by will. It's a common consensus that a lot of the women were taken by the other genus. Oh. And that's something that you, know, you still hear about today. And Solomon Islands comes up, for example, when we did an investigation there several years ago. Um, so with that big mixing pot, there was a lot of things going on, and you had a lot of smaller uh, subspecies roaming the planet, and they mixed right around down towards Indonesia, etc. Now, at that time, Australia was linked to the rest of the world. We had a land bridge that okay. came from Indonesia, Papua New Guinea, down into Australia. And these creatures could easily move to traverse into our continent uh, before it came a continent. Mm -hmm. And this land bridge existed up until only 7,000 years ago. Oh, wow. And then suddenly gone and Australia was isolated. So whatever was in Australia was trapped in Australia. Mm. And I think one of the more interesting aspects, because, okay, firstly, this is how some of the smaller ones could have got here. And as I'm saying, about the same size as humans and a bit smaller. And that's what they're describing today. That is out there in the bush. A lot of our witnesses, this is what they're describing. But regardless of the big ones, this is something different. Mm -hmm. And there's all different varieties of them. And, and another thing is that... Um, Science and paleontology will tell you they didn't know whether any of these subspecies were covered to hair from head to foot. They don't know. Oh, they sure. presume they probably were. Mm -hmm. There's nothing to, to suggest that they weren't. Uh, and you'd imagine uh, well, any, any animal that, that's covered in hair, I mean, it's, the hair's there for a reason, and that's, that's there for protection from the sun or the wind or the, or the, the, the cold, just the climate in general. So it makes sense that the pre-humans more than likely were covered from hair, from head to toe, right? Sure. Oh. So you go, okay, well, that's, that's great. That explains how a lot of these smaller ones are here. What about the big one? All right. Myself and my good friend, my, my dear friend Lloyd Pye, uh, before, he, before he passed away, we used to kick the can around a lot about Gigantopithecus, mm -hmm. and neither of us were really big fans. Uh, Lloyd used to say, well, 
there's really not much to go on. I mean, as far as the fossil evidence of Giganto, you've got some jaw fragments, just pieces of jaw. Yeah. You've got the molars, etc., uh, etc. Et although there's about two thousand molars that have been found. Oh, wow. So they've reconstructed the, the the jaw pretty much, and again, science paleontology, they've estimated this creature is going to be anywhere between you know, six, seven to ten feet tall. Wow. So that puts it in the right height bracket. Mm-hmm. And remember that all these creatures, all these creatures, are prior to Gracile, they're all more robust than us. So you imagine this, the stature of this. The closest living relative to Gigantopithecus is the orangutan. Mm-hmm. Another interesting equation. Now I think, hmm, okay. What is the most common colour reported of the yowie? It's a reddy brown. Mm-hmm. And guess what the analogy most witnesses use? The colour of a orangutan. Uh, sure. Even even the striations, also the, the, the hair folding down from the arms, etc., just hanging down. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that with um, some adaptations of the Bigfoot as well, quite, quite similar. So now you've got You've got the height, you've got the colour. Um, how did they get here? Because I thought they were up around uh, China, Southeast Asia, Vietnam. But recently there's been discovered, a discovery that, uh, well, the fossil remains in uh, Indonesia. And as I said before, that was a part of the land bridge to Australia. So they're well on their way down through that land bridge to Australia. Then Land bridge gone, stuck in Australia. Uh-huh. So, here's the history lesson. That's really interesting. Now, um, uh, of course, with the diversity in sizes and stuff, uh, in the U.S., we, we hear reports of, of Bigfoot, some looking more human-like, some looking much more primate, some looking uh, like a Neanderthal with the really protruding brows. You know, some There's a lot of physical variations, and, and so... There seems to be an idea that has evolved that there are types of Bigfoot. In paper, perhaps they're like subgenuses of the same family branch. Um, do you have that same, uh, other than size that you've just explained, but in, in actually physical uh, reports uh, that people, when they describe them, do they give that, ex- that, that variation uh, in, in when they're given yeah. descriptions? Yeah we, yeah, we do. And it does vary. It varies from person to person. But I think, you know, like... If, if you had two people describing a an event that happened in their childhood, mm-hmm. they might, they'll both say the, see the same thing, but years later they may describe it completely different. Sure. People see things in different ways. Um, I, there's, a, there's an interesting case that we did last year or the year before at a place called Canungra. And it's where it involved a truck driver, and a lot of the Australians who are watching now don't know this story very well. Mm-hmm. And he had put his truck into neutral, going down through the range, down through Canungra. And, and Canungra, it's, it's a well-known area for this creature. In fact, it's only 100 metres up the road that the last sighting was, about a year before then. As he's trucking, he's trying to a big, big truck. And uh, I'll give you an example. When I stood up next to this truck, the bonnet, the top of the bonnet, was about to here. Mm-hmm. I couldn't look over it. So he's, he's coming down through the bonnet. He's got a neutral. He's not making any noise. 
comes around the corner and this thing uh, to, to on the right hand side he's doing a, a right hand bank and as he's coming around the corner this creature is just leapt off the bank as he's coming around the corner he's mid-air and he comes down he's hit the brakes mm-hmm. he's locked it up he's turned the truck semi-sideways and he's skidding towards it he said this thing landed on the ground like superman one twist staring straight at him he said here's the thing he said the expressions on the face were human absolute human reaction Mm. and which will give give me to my next point i said uh he said the first expression was shock (laughs) he said the second he said just like a human was embarrassment he said, it stood up and it looked at him through the windscreen. The windscreen. Sure. And he said, the third emotion or the first expression was anger. Mm. Just like when he took two paces and he shunted the front of the truck. He said, it hit the uh, truck with such a force, it was like hitting a small Mazda. <laughs> and uh, he had to go down in his windscreen like this and look up. To see the top of his head. Now remember how I said that I couldn't even come up to, uh, above the bonnet? Right. He right. had to look up to see its head. Oh. And he said the head was like a monkey. Really? But but the expressions were like a human. So there goes the mix, right? Mm-hmm. Which brings me on to another thing. Mm-hmm. It's the, I'm not even getting started in <laughs> How much time do we have left? I'm getting too sidetracked. You're getting me sidetracked. Sorry. Um, yeah, since it's getting me into another another thing is uh, it, uh, danger of these creatures. Mm. Now, I have a lot of respect for David Pilates. Mm-hmm. Ladies, Pilates, depends on whether you're American or Australian. <laughs> and he um, he's he's definitely on the right track. And you'll have all these dude do- goodies going, well, you know, they're, they're protectors of the bush, they're lovely, they won't harm you, don't go near them, they won't hurt you. Well, I've got a different story for you, and that's from personal experience. Uh, that aside, if you look at it this way, and remember those expressions that I was telling you about off the mm-hmm. big monkey-looking thing, this creature, providing his flesh and blood, is, um, is biological. Mm-hmm. It has hormones. Wow. It has emotions, clearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, animals hurt and kill animals. Humans hurt and kill humans. Mm-hmm. What makes these things any different? Sure. Who's this, why, why on earth would somebody say, oh, no, they won't hurt you, and they're, they're wonderful, and they're passive, and they say, no, they're not. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that they are responsible for a lot, a lot of missing people over the last couple of hundred years. Mm-hmm. I would agree. I, I think that that's it, it. Would be foolish to to assume otherwise, especially with the the scale and the scope of these things. I mean, just what they're capable of. If you misjudge that, you're a grease spot. You know. I, yeah. I did. Yeah. Wow. That's very. Now I've, I've, I've led a, a lot of expeditions uh, all over the country in some parts of the world. Mm-hmm. I've drank arsenic with the. Pomone Indians in South America. I've uh, interviewed 
uh, villages near Mount Roraima or about pterodactyls that have been seen coming off Mount Roraima over the last 100, 200 years, mm -hmm. uh, giant anacondas, alligators, snakes, triantulas. But I think the most impressive experiences that I had were probably in Australia. Mm. And that all sort of started around about 1995. And uh, I was coming home at 11 o'clock at night. I was living at a place called Mount Tambourine, which is on the Gold Coast hinterland. Uh, it's a place called Eagle Heights. And I'd come home at about 11, park my car in... Uh, well, well, just imagine this, right? So being a mountainous area, you've got a sloping block and you have a pole home mm -hmm. and a pole garage where... Where the car parked, you walked around the front and then down into there. Beyond the house was uh, it's a big slope and it goes down to a chicken wire fence. Mm -hmm. Beyond the chicken wire fence is swamp. And back in those days, you didn't know what was beyond the swamp. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't go down there for any reason. It was just unhospitable. You just you, you got to the fence, you go, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I come home this night. And I, I got out of the car and I'd open the gate. And I go, what is that noise? And here's this thing in the back, the back swamp making this god-awful noise. And I've never heard anything like it. And I know, I mean, koalas can make a lot of noise, but this is nothing like a koala. And it was deep and it was guttural, like guttural. Mm. It was the, 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 the vocal capacity was far beyond a human. I mean, we couldn't we couldn't come close to mimicking what this thing was. And whatever it was, I mean, it was it was pissed off. Yeah. Uh, so here is this vocal capacity, and it's walking around on two legs bipedally. Huh? <laughs> bipedally. It was very clear. You could hear it trudging around in the swamp. Crunch, 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 crunch. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, very, very heavy. And then. It starts to pick up small trees and foliage, and it rips it out of the ground. You hear the, the roots separating from the soil. Wow. It pulled out, and then throw, and it hits all the other trees, bounces, and then drops. Poof. Mm. Crunch, crunch, crunch. Rip. Throw. Poof, poof, poof. Poof. Uh, and all this sort of thing, the vocal capacities, you know, all that sort of thing was, was all going on. Mm -hmm. And I had goosebumps. Yeah, what? So on this side, on this shoulder here, was my normal little guy saying, you know what? It'd be a really good idea if you went down and had a look, see what that was. <laughs> you know you've got a porch behind the door? Let's go get it. Let's go. Let's go. Sure. And then he had this one over here going, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. It's a bad idea. You don't want to know. And uh, I thought, like, normally I'd be listening to this guy. Uh -huh. um, and it was just awful, I tell you. It was just, it was horrible. Yeah. It was, I mean, this was just, and I'm just, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, and so I, I just had this feeling that I need to just go inside, lock the door, and forget about it. You don't want to know. And so that's what I did. Mm. Uh, the next day I got up and I, I asked several neighbours who'd been there for longer than myself. Mm -hmm. Nobody 
much about it. There's a couple of other instances we've had after that. But, well, I sort of asked other people as well because I had an inkling. I'd, I'd seen a show back in 1994 called The Extraordinary. And there's a story about uh, this, this girl whose name was Julie Clark and she lived in a, a town called Cranbark. And she was riding a horse to a creek bed by herself when suddenly this creature rose from the side bank and jumped down into the creek. The horse reared, turned around, they bolted, and this thing took off after them. Now, her being right up there on horseback, she said its height matched hers. And she was beside herself, as you imagine. And she rode, galloped all the way into town and uh, went straight to her father, who was a prominent businessman at the time. And then he grabbed a posse of guys and they all shot out there. And they found the footprints and uh, and then they found what looked like a, a bed where, where she first saw it come from. And that sparked a lot of interest. So that was playing my mind as well. And I was just starting to wonder, you know, what else could it be? Because no native Australian animal, well, number one, can make that noise. Number two, walks bipedally. Number three, has hands to rip foliage yeah. out and then throw it. Mm-hmm. It's not a kangaroo and it's not an emu. We don't have camels and yeah. they couldn't do that. Um, so, yeah, so that has been on my mind for a bit. And then here's the kicker, here's the cruncher. I moved to a place called Ormo. And, and all these people who know me, they're going, ah, we don't know all about this story. Hey, Dean, hold on just a sec, because we're about uh, a minute and a half, or about a minute away from the break. So I don't want you to get in the middle of this, but... Uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you can hear how amazing this is going. Uh, this is going to be an incredible rest of our show, too, so make sure you stick around. We're going to go to our break in just about uh, a minute here, um, but uh, I just want you guys to know, again, you can, you can uh, of course, uh, listen on tfrlive.com, uh, or you can be watching the live stream. If you're hearing my voice and you're not seeing the pictures, head over to youtube.com slash paranormalportal, and you can watch this live both myself and Dean are on camera and uh, we are going to be continuing to share uh, or, or to dive deeply into, into this man's experiences. Um, the phone lines will not be open. Uh, we may open them at the tail end of the show here a little bit, but we're going to continue on this journey. And uh, I want you guys to head over to uh, uh, Facebook, uh, go check out uh, Australian Yowie research page. It's on Facebook and this is uh, Dean's group which has, uh, you know, many of the things that he's discussing are showcased, many of uh, links to other Yowie news. Uh, and, of course, check out their web page, which can be found at yowiehunters.com. And you can uh, head over there. And, and there's also, um, it's not only talking about Dean's research, but it's also a, a repository for claims and people's experiences when they're encountering these things. Um, so it's a, it's a great site full of a lot of information, uh, I do want to talk to you, Dean, at some point tonight about the about the the report map because I got some questions about that, and I think that it's interesting. Uh, also, hopefully, we can get into a little bit about the wildfires because I think that's on all of our minds. The the amazing devastation that occurred over there and what you think is going on um, with the Yowie population. So we have a lot, obviously, a lot more to get into. Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. (laughs) 
Hey guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal Podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in thank you all for joining us i am joined tonight by australia's own mr dean harrison who is here to talk about yowies and so much more uh it's we, <laughs> that first half hour went great although i went total rookie and talked right into the break which uh you know tells you I'm just <laughs> just engaged here. So uh, welcome back, Dean, and thank you again for coming on tonight. This has been uh, uh, epic, uh, incredibly epic so far. But before the break, I interrupted you on a story you're getting into, so uh, if you would, please. Yes, so this is probably one of the most crucial stories in you know, the journey that I've been on, and it's an incredible journey that uh, you just couldn't imagine. Um, so there's this... Uh, there's a, a town called Ormo that I'd moved to in 1996. It was pretty close after I'd moved away from the first encounter, so to speak. And this is a rural, semi-rural sort of setting. It, uh, it's all acreage. And mm -hmm. between the township of Ormo uh, uh, and Norfolk, which is the next one, there's a... Like a uh, a nature refuge, so to speak, that goes all, all the way, all the way across. Now, to the east is the highway, which hadn't been developed just then. At that stage, it was two lanes each way, and beyond that was Canefield. To the west, uh, you've got the, the mountains that go on pretty much forever, from the, the top end of Australia to all the way down to Victoria, so wow. vast wilderness. Mm -hmm. <sighs> I was trying to lose some weight at night, and in the process I was going for a jog, and this particular night I was going for a, a jog at 11 o'clock. The path that I used to jog on was through this nature reserve, and at the time it was pretty dense, and it was swampy, and there's creeks, and all that sort of thing flowing through them. The track itself, you could put your hands out both sides, and touch the foliage. That's how close it was. Mm. Prior to that, you walk down through a field. There's overline, uh, overhead uh, high voltage power lines, and you walk down to push through the track. On this particular night, I got to the entrance of the track, and I stopped. I thought, I'll make a phone call before I go for my run. Mm -hmm. So I deviated and I walked around the bush line behind a clump of trees to make a phone call. To the back of me, again, it's all mown grass, 
uh, up until the road behind me mm-hmm. and an overhead street line. And it was a fair distance from, from the, the tree line to the road. And I was on the phone for probably about a good five, six, ten minutes. I don't know. I can't remember. And uh, she, whom I was speaking, and this is a really odd part, she said, what is all that noise? Makes no sense. How would I not hear this? Mm-hmm. So I tuned out of the conversation, and sure enough, there's branches being felled. Ooh. There's small snap- saplings being uh, broken over. And it just, you know, to this day, it just makes no sense how I, I didn't hear all this commotion going on behind me. And um, I thought to myself, it's more than likely a bunch of kids have snuck out at night, as I used to do uh, when I was in my teens. And I thought, it's kind of, this is a Tuesday night. We used to do this Friday, Saturday nights. That's odd. Uh, And the noise sort of subsided. Okay, well, they found their way back out onto the track, back into the conversation, and talking away. And then there was a loud crack a bit closer behind me. Uh, Back in the conversation. Crack. A little bit closer again. And now I'm rationalising, reasoning. There's one person still stuck in there and he's trying to find his way out. His mates have left him, they've gone. Uh, Back in the conversation. And now I'm sort of semi-listening between the conversation and what's going on behind me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm aware of the leaves slowly being parted like that. And you'd hear something, the leaves going across, dragging across a body and then closing up behind. And then there'd be a twig break. And every time there was a twig break, silence, didn't move. Aha, uh-huh. this is stalking. Wow. This is, this, wow. Is, this is with purpose. And so now I'm no longer interested in the, in the conversation I'm having on the phone. <laughs> I want to know more about this. And so now I'm totally tuned into it. And, yeah, sure enough, I'm, I'm hearing foot, uh, a, feet, a foot breaking a twig, and every time it broke a twig, silence. You give itself about 30 seconds to just to clear the air, like there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. And now I put my next foot down, and then you hear the leaves being parted again, etc. And now it's getting closer and closer and closer, and now it's really close. Oh, so I said on the phone, I said, Don, I think I've got somebody trying to sneak up behind me. And she, she's saying, careful with this sort of thing. I'm going, well, I just want to know, let's find out what's on his mind. Because at the time I was extremely fit and I was boxing, and I mean, I boxed and so forth all through my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wasn't terribly concerned. And as it got right to the bush line, just behind me, suddenly my whole body just shut down. And it was just, it was an experience that I'd never had before. It was foreign. Basically, I just, I just locked up. Wow. Just locked. I, I was, I was, I was paralyzed. I guess that's the best word for it is paralyzed. And, you know, you're trying to psychoanalyze the situation. Is this a mind thing? It has to be. Mm-hmm. But I still, it doesn't, why can't I move? And I've, I've got this overwhelming 
fear coming in from behind, but I'm feeling something. It's like I could feel an energy, basically. Put it that way. It's like an energy, mm. and it wasn't a good energy. And uh, my hair went up. I had goosebumps, and I just knew that I was in imminent danger. I also knew, and this is this is like a let's just say a sixth sense sort of thing. I also knew not to turn around. Not that I could but not to make eye contact because it's going to make things exponentially worse. And I just knew I had to get out of there, but I was in a predicament because I couldn't move. And I just managed to sort of turn just a little bit and just enough to see the silhouette standing there. (laughs) At least like four tall. And I just got, oh, Lord. What do I do? And I, but I, I knew, I mean, it was basically, it, it was a time scale. I, I had no time. I had to do something. So I literally counted into my head, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. You better move. One, two, three. And I forced my shoulder, which forced my hip, which forced my knee, which forced my foot. Mm-hmm. And the moment my foot moved, this biggest raw bellow that you've ever heard in your life. It was enormous. And the first thing that came to my mind was lion. Really? That is the extent of the size of the diaphragm in this thing. It was immense. And if you're thinking lion, you know what a lion sounds like when they walk. I know what a lion sounds like when they that's what it sounded like. And I've often described it as something in between a bear and a lion in one. It's that big booming effect. Mm. And all the dogs right around and all the acreages are just going bananas. And I was going, and off I went. And I ran. And I was pretty quick, but I wasn't quick compared to this guy. Right. And he, he took off after me. And the bush line went around to my left and went up towards the road where the start of the track was and mown grass up until the road and, and the street line. And I am running as fast as I can. He's come, he probably started about there or so. He's come right around behind me. He's taken the bush line and, he, and as he's going, as he's running, He's just crashing through everything, mm. just smashing through things like that weren't even there. You should have heard it. Oh. Just everything was coming down. He was felling everything. And if he wasn't doing that, you hear him self-propelling through the bush. You hear the bushes bounce back into place. Um, as he's running, you could hear every footfall bipedal. Boom, boom, boom. And you hear him launch over logs. Boom, boom. And every time he made a heavy footfall, his diaphragm would bounce like that. So he'd type of thing as he's running. On top of that, he's bellowing at me. And you know the difference between, and particularly when you're in the bush, mm-hmm. if someone's talking directly at you, or if they're looking this way and they're talking, right. there's a difference in, in the sound. Sure. He sure. wouldn't take his eyes off me the entire time. And now he's running beside me. Like, dead beside me. And he's looking at me the entire time. He's not watching where he's going. He's just smashing through everything. And he 
yelling and he's this and that. And it was blood curdling. The aggression was so raw. It's like I've never seen anything like it, never experienced anything like it. And then he starts to run ahead of me. And at this stage, while he's beside me, because he caught me so fast, yeah. I'm running in a straight line. Mm-hmm. He's run from there all the way around the bush line through like through bush that you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't walk through without falling over. Wow. And, and he's just smashed through the whole lot and done probably three, four times my speed. And now he's running level with me and I've just gone, that's it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. this this is it. This is this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. I'm dead. Yeah. Uh, this is this is the last this is my last night. I am just about to die. Right. And I knew at that point that there was nothing I could do to save myself. Um, there was nothing I could have held in my hand that would have protected me. I could have had a samurai sword and a baseball bat and you know, all these other things that yeah. some people carry around. It wouldn't have done anything. This thing would have snapped my neck like a toothpick before I had time to scream. That's how powerful it was. And that's how peed off it was too. It was so annoyed. And, and when it was doing this... It was like, it was like it was personal. Wow. I mean, you felt it. It was, it was this energy that was coming from this went right through you. It was, it was like he just killed its firstborn. And, 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 and he knew exactly what it was thinking. He wanted me. He wanted me. And now he starts to run up ahead of me. And you know, he started just past me, what, 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 what's he doing? Because I thought at this stage, this is, this, is, this is it, this is where I'm about to die. Yeah. And then he starts to run a little bit ahead of me. And what's he, oh, no, oh, crap, he's cutting me off. That's what he's doing. So I've turned, I've gone that way. And he sort of lunged out a few steps. And uh, thank God I was on open ground. I was coming up towards the streetlight. Oh. And he's turned around. I'm looking over my shoulder as I'm running up to the streetlight. And I get there and he's turned around. He's walked back over the bush just at the entrance of his track, and he's just, he's turned around and just squatted. He's just sitting there, just in the foliage, just, just watching. And I'm going, ah, 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 ah. Did, did you just hear that? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. So that, that was a life-changing experience. When you go through an experience like that and you really, truly believe this is it, this is when you're going to die, Yeah. and by the hands of something like him, you want answers, don't you? Sure. And you really want answers. You can't let this go. Uh, and I knew exactly what it was. There was no doubt in my mind. But by the moment I'd reached that, that light pole, I knew exactly what he was. Wow. There was just wow. no question whatsoever. I, I know what it is. And uh, I'm still getting goosebumps just talking about it now. Yeah. Um, and so that really rocked me. It really scared me. And... It was probably only two weeks after then I got pulled away from that property. I had to move to Sydney. Okay, everybody. I think it's time we got to take a break. So don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in oh 
and uh, I, I got in, I, I spoke to my brother the next morning, and of course I was like a million miles an hour as I am, mm-hmm. like excited about things, and uh, he, he was just, wow, that's, that's incredible, he deep believed me, and then I went and spoke to some of the neighbours, I did door knock, uh, I needed to know more, I mean, what, what are people seeing, well, what have they heard, and nobody heard anything, and one of my best friends who's living next door, he he didn't believe me. He just he just had that that wry smile about him, like I oh, am. Yeah. Yeah, where's the punchline? Right. Yeah. So, and not- so I this is this this is what this is what created AYR, uh, Australian Yogi Research, Yogi Hunters. I looked high and low for answers. There was no information out there at all. And keep in mind that this was also, you know, not pre-internet, but it was on the verge of internet. There's there's not a lot out there. Sure. Probably more so in American than what was available in Australia. But, and there's no such thing as Google back then. Though I think uh, Microsoft had its own version of a similar thing. And so I searched high and low. I tried to find as much information as I could. I went to libraries. There was nothing. There was nothing to help me. I needed answers. I had to find answers. Uh, and I wouldn't let it go. Right. I would right. not let it go. And this thing really disturbed me. So when I moved to Sydney, I looked. I, I, I was. I got involved with the GCBRO with Bobby Hamilton, and I used to um, correspond with him a lot. And he helped me out in my in my early days, just with information his experience with the Bigfoot, mm-hmm. and that was, that was quite useful. Then I went on to a BFRO site, and I went through because I'm still searching for anything in Australia, right. and I went through their sightings database, and they had an international. And I go, please, Australia, please be there. And there's Australia, and they had one report, and it's from the Blue Mountains. Luck had it, luck had it that I moved to Sydney, and the Blue Mountains was only about an hour away. So I read the report, and it was astounding. It was a, basically, it was all about uh, a neighbourhood of people, a street of people, uh, this, this one family in particular, that it had this... Uh, reoccurrence of encounters over the past 10 years. Wow, this is incredible. And at the bottom, there was a name. Yes. So uh, you couldn't, I don't think you Google, well, there's no such thing as Google. You, you couldn't look anything up on the internet at that time as far as um, people's phone numbers. So uh, I called the operator, and not the operator, but I, I called information. And I, got, I found his address, long and short. Mm-hmm. And then I gave him a call. And he was um, he wasn't very happy. He instructed the BFRO to take his uh, name off that report, and they didn't. <laughs> and after after being disgruntled for the first five minutes, I explained <laughs> my situation and what had happened to me in the past, my last couple of uh, encounters. Sure. And uh, he became interested and said, "Well, come on up." So I went up there and I I met with them. And it was extraordinary. They had this situation where this creature that they called Fatfoot, and I'm hearing everyone in Australia, ah, here comes the Fatfoot story. <laughs> um, Fatfoot uh, was, was a yowie. It was probably about six or seven feet tall. Probably about seven. And uh, he used to roam around all their backyards at night time, peering through the window and getting up all, all sorts of hijinks. And... I'll just paint you a picture of the, the landscape here. I mean, it's high up in the mountains, blue mountains. It's very vast wilderness. You could spend your whole life out there and have you discovered that it goes on for like, you know, uh, I don't know, 10,000 miles this way and whatever that way. Wow. 
Um, and, and, and a lot of it, we've never stepped foot in. So it's oh. uncharted territory out there. We, we don't know what's, what's in those, in those valleys and those mountains. Um, so anyway, he told me so many stories about their experiences over the last you know, 10 or so years that they've been living there. And he said, well, we believe we sort of built on these tracks. This was his domain. And this is why he was so angry. And he was going around banging on the walls and banging on the doors and all sort of thing in the middle of the night and um, being really disgruntled. And that's how it began. And then I think it showed more of an interest in them than anything else. And he said he sort of, he sort of turned into being more inquisitive. And it wasn't just him having these these encounters and these visitations. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought his neighbour over named Ian and his wife, and they said, yeah, well, we, we've, we've seen him as well. Uh, we, we've, we've mucked around with him and we've played the games with him. And, and games? What, what, what are these games? Oh, well, on Friday night, we'd all gather around and sit in the backyard and bring our deck chairs out and have a few beers and wait for him. <laughs> and uh, so I'd wait at night time. And uh, the first thing you'd hear is in the hills on the other side of the valley is the first dog going off. Mm. Yeah, the next one. Yeah, the next one. And he, and so this is an indication of him coming up through the valley. The dogs were all switched on. <laughs> and they're like, like an alarm system, like an alert. Right. And, and then suddenly you hear the crunching coming through the swamp. And behind it, there's no fences or anything like that. It was basically homes and swamp into a valley and the valley went down that way and the valley went up there and there's some more homes along, along the ridge and had nothing down there. And so you, you'd hear him go, or you'd hear him come. And his eyes sometimes glowed bright red as they'd come through the, the foliage. And so this thing would come up and he'd come from tree to tree and he'd stand there and wait for them basically. So they'd also sit there and go, just pretend you can't see just, just talk. <laughs> and then this thing would sort of go, yeah. <laughs> no, you're, not, you're not getting it. No, not interested. Are you ready? One, two, three. Let's get him! And they'd all get up and they'd run straight at him and off he'd go. And they'd chase this and they'd have all their torches on and they'd chase him all the way down the valley. And then they'd lose him, of course, because he's just too quick. And sure. they'd come back and they'd sit there and back you'd come again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with the torches and go chase him. And there's, there's this one time he relayed, um, one of the residents he relayed to me, he said he, that they'd been on their chase and that they're walking back. And it was very, very dark. I think he had his, had his torch off, his, his flashlight. Mm-hmm. And as he's coming up the track, he sees in front of him, he sees this log. He doesn't go around this log being here. Yeah. As he gets onto the log, he turns the, the flashlight on, hits this thing fair square in the face as it stands up. <laughs> <laughs> he said. He said. He said it was just like a cartoon. He oh said. He God. said basically, it just leaned into me, opened his mouth and went. Rrr! He said my hands went back like that, like a cartoon. And the breath wasn't too good. Oh man! And then off he go. And he said he just stood there. So, and uh, and the neighbour, the, the the wife next door, she said, oh, well, I was um, I was doing the dishes one night, and. I saw just below the window sills on the doing the dishes, and below the window sill, I just saw this tuffet of hair. What is that? Hmm. I'm looking, I'm looking, and then suddenly this thing just stands up, 
right above me and just looks straight down. She just throws the dishes and runs off. And um, the other neighbours said, uh, we had to cut down the trees around where the lounge room was because you'd get really close uh, Mm. behind the trees at night and he'd watch us. And he said, I'm not really certain if he was watching us or he was watching the TV. Oh. <laughs> so wow. they end up cutting all that down. Wow. So with all this information, this new information, and uh, being a super sleuth as I am mm-hmm. at the time, <laughs> I brought my maps out and I mapped a pathway of the most likely place he was coming from, which was the, the Falwell Valley. So I followed this course and I found the tracks, which I believe were his tracks, which made sense. And then I found other tracks that were quite interesting as well. I learnt that running parallel with a, a dirt road, if you go on the inside, you'll find another track. So therefore, he's not walking on the sandy track to leave his prints. He's walking where he's safe, parallel to that road. There's another track on the inside. So I went, oh, okay. So I learnt from that when I all these tracks and I said, okay, well, it should cross this track here and down the valley. And where it crossed is a, is a little bit rocky, so it's not going to leave his prints there. That makes sense. He must be coming down from over there. So I always just set up uh, a base camp there for a bit, and it wasn't long until I learned his patterns. He was coming up at the same time every night, roughly about 8 o'clock. Wow. And, and the, the first night I had my encounter with him, I'd, you'd park your car, there's, there's a gate, and you'd I'd, I'd cut my way down through the really thick foliage down into the, the valley, and there's a rocky outcrop, which is kind of like a cliff, it goes down um, and all the way around, and you can actually go under it for shelter if you want to, and then it goes right down deep into the valley, and you can walk around up, up to the right. Mm-hmm. So I'm lying there one night, and again, it's, it's right on 8 o'clock, and I hear this crack. We're going to run out of time, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I hear, I hear, I hear this crack down in the valley, mm-hmm. and then next you hear, boom, 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 crack, crunch, boom, 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 and up he comes, bipedally, crashing through everything. And, he, and I'm going, oh, no, because that. <laughs> My last experience wasn't yeah. too good yeah. with one of these yeah. things. And I didn't know his personality. I didn't know if it was the same one from you know, back over the other valley. Sure. And I'm just going, oh, Lord, no, no, mm. no, no. He's coming straight. He goes underneath, around from where I'm sitting. And he's gone right around me. And I'm just lying down like this going, no, please go. Please just keep going. <laughs> and, and he went right around me and up into the bush and off. And I'm going, wow. Amen. Wow. That's okay. incredible. Hey all, this is Don with Paranormal Portal. Thanks for listening to that episode. That was Dean Harrison, Yower researcher from Australia. Uh, that was part one. Part two will be released here very, very soon for your listening pleasure. And I just wanted to say thanks for sticking with us through our downtime. We are back now and we will be releasing episodes every Sunday for your listening pleasure. So keep listening. Have a great day.
All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Paranormal Portal Radio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at Paranormal Portal, P-O-R-T-L, and uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows in our, uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at youtube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So uh, stay tuned. But we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm.